0: At this point, the kids are dismissed to go back to OPBC Kids Worship. Your teachers are back there. If you're a guest or visitor with us and it's your first time back, they can get you signed up. It's a great time. They're going to hear the gospel, and they always have a blast. So, And there they go. How quickly can they get out of here before he starts talking? All right. I'm going to ask the rest of us to... Turn to Genesis chapter 39, if you would. Genesis chapter 39. Now, the great news is that if you were here last week, um, this week's sermon is normal. Okay? Um, Last week's sermon, uh, I was told after the service last week that what I needed to do, um, really the fact is that Genesis 38, Judah and Tamar needed to be a seminary exercise where you walk into a preaching class in seminary and you say, okay, here's the deal. It's Mother's Day. Genesis 38 go, um, because it was wacky, wasn't it? Um, but I hope what you got out of it was that God is a God of grace uh, for, for mothers, for those who also find themselves falling into temptation or sometimes just leaping headlong into temptation, that God is a God full of grace. And that's going to continue on into the life of Joseph. If you remember the story, Joseph has been sold into slavery by his brothers, so he, he, he was kind of the punk kid right he's the younger brother who like who made sure everybody knew how great he was going to become because God had given him dreams one thing just to learn god gives you dreams that they aren't meant to be shared sometimes right so sometimes they're for you and sometimes when you tell everybody else you're just going to get yourself in a lot of trouble so but he he shared the dreams of the fact that he was going to be in this position of power his brothers really didn't like the fact that his dad was uh showed a lot of favoritism to, towards him and that he also thought pretty highly of himself, and uh, so they sold him into slavery to Egypt. The Ishmaelites take him down to Egypt, and what we're going to pick up now is we're going to pick up the story when he gets to Egypt. This is a man who probably, what we learn from him, probably if you were to walk up to him and say, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life, he would probably hit you. I mean, think about this. What's going to happen in his life? He, he doesn't want to hear, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life, because his plan is going to hurt. But the amazing thing about Joseph is he also just takes it, and he takes it in faith. He takes it in faith. And so I want you to be encouraged today, encouraged to be like Joseph, but encouraged also that you can't be like Joseph without Jesus. So that's my prayer for us today. So if you would just turn to Genesis chapter 39, follow along in your copy of God's Word. Verse 1 says this, Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. Now just pause right here, the Ishmaelites, that means they're the, the, the descendants of Ishmael. Remember Ishmael? He was the first son of Abram, not the son of the promise, and yet God is still using the descendants of Ishmael to accomplish his purposes. Just remember, that's how amazing God is. So God said, here's one son, Ishmael. He's going to have descendants. I'm going to use the Ishmaelites to get Joseph to Egypt so that my people will be saved from a famine sent to Egypt so they'll be delivered by me, and I'm going to make them into a nation. God's constantly working behind the scenes. He's constantly working right in front of us, but in 10 trillion other ways he's working behind the scenes. And this is the good news of how great our God is. Says the Lord was with Joseph. Just go ahead and underline that every time you see it. That's the key to the passage today. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man. And he was in the house of his Egyptian master. Now that's a different definition of successful, isn't it? You're a slave, but he's successful. Where has God placed you today? No matter whether you think it's fair or you think it's meeting all your potential, or whether you think it's the job that you should have, it's the job that you do have. been asked before, how do I know I'm where God wants me to be? I'm like, look around, it's exactly where you're supposed to be. That's how sovereign our God is. He can make you successful no matter what your circumstances are. He can make you into who He wants you to be no matter what your circumstances are. God changes people far more than He changes circumstances. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge, and because of him he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. Now pay attention to that. God could have made him ugly, but he chose not to. Had God made Joseph ugly, the next part of the story probably would have never happened. But God in his sovereign will made Joseph good-looking. Why? Because God's plan was going to include temptation for Joseph and overcoming that temptation for Joseph. This is the plan of God. So God made him handsome in form and appearance. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house. So he doesn't want to sin against Potiphar. And he has put everything that he has in my charge. I don't want my testimony ruined before him. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you because you are his wife. He's like, There's, he's not even my boss. We're equals in the house. The only thing I don't get is you because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? He has a view of understanding that if he were to do this, he would be sinning against God. Isn't it interesting that just one chapter ago, Judah tempted, seems to not think about God whatsoever. Swallowing after his desires. He's going to grab up what he can. No concern for God whatsoever and now Joseph says, I can't sin against God. This is going to come back in just a little while as we talk about how to overcome this temptation. But Look at verse 10. And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her to lie beside her or to be with her. It's a constant temptation. It's not a one-time temptation. He didn't just walk in one time and she goes, come, lie with me. It was every day. I'm sure he put some stop gaps in place, right? I'm sure he made sure that he wasn't in the house with her alone whenever possible. I'm sure he probably said, I want to make sure that nobody he wants to live above reproach so nobody would think that anything's happening. But one day, verse 11, when he went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the house was there in the house, she caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand. He, he was we, willing to flee immorality, and fled and got out of the house. And as soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand, and it fled out of the house, she called to the men of her household and said to them, See, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came in to me to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And as soon as he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried out. He left his garment beside me and fled and got out of the house. Then she laid up his garment by her until his master came home and she told him the same story. Now just understand, look at the symmetry of the story really quickly. Joseph. Joseph's brothers deceived his dad by a garment that could identify who he was. Judah left behind his signet and his staff that would show who he was when he committed this sin. And now this temptation is on Joseph and he flees and still behind has left something that would identify him. And now it's going to be used to deceive and it's going to be used to throw him in prison. Things aren't really going well for Joseph right now. This isn't fair. This is injustice. What's your reaction when injustice hits? What's your reaction when people aren't fair to you? What's your reaction when you're accused And it's just not true. This is a man who desired holiness and godliness and a man who's now caught up in someone else's sin. She told him the same story, saying, the Hebrew servant whom you have brought among us, doesn't it sound just like Eve, remember? And Adam, remember their whole when they were caught in sin? When Adam goes, the woman that you gave to me. Right? This is the same, deferring somebody else's problem. This wasn't my fault. The Hebrew servant whom you have brought among us came in to me to laugh at me, but as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house. As soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, this is the way your servant treated me. His anger was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him into prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in prison. This is what happens. He's falsely accused his master Potiphar, who had trusted him with everything, throws him in prison. What's interesting is what should have been the punishment for this would have been for a slave execution immediately. Now what that tells me, first of all, is God is a God of mercy and grace in order to spare Joseph's life, even though he was thrown in prison. The second thing it probably tells me is that Potiphar didn't trust his wife. He probably went, "Eh, I don't know how much I can trust what you're telling me right now. He probably knew her really well. And in this moment, Joseph is spared, even in this sinfulness of another person, even in the midst of this injustice. Look at verse 21. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. How is being in prison unjustly steadfast love? That does not work in my brain. Does it work in yours? That being in prison would be God's steadfast love and faithfulness to him? But God showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. You know what this reminds me of? If you've ever read... um, uh, Cory Ten Boom's uh, book, The Hiding Place, if you've ever read this book, there's, there's a place, there's a time where she's put in a concentration camp and they're in their building, in their barracks, and the lice are so bad. Shaved heads, they're itching all the time. They're, it's horrible. You know what she figured out? She began to praise the Lord for the lice. Why? Because the guards wouldn't come in. This is Joseph's plight. As a slave, he's given such favor by God that even in all of the injustice of his slavery, he's left alone to flourish because God is with him. When he's thrown in prison, the guard trusts him so much that here's God is with him, he's shown favor, and even in prison, the guard leaves him alone. The guard's willing to just go watch TV, guard's just off taking a nap, whatever it may be, And Joseph is left alone. Have you ever just stopped and thought how bad things could be? When things are bad, we have a tendency to think they're as bad as they ever could be. But have you ever just stopped in those moments and thought, how bad could it be if God was not with me? What's the worst that could happen? Imagine now Joseph in Potiphar's house being whipped every day like other slaves. Imagine Joseph in prison in chains, chained to a wall, being beaten by the guards. God was with him. Sometimes just a little perspective helps, doesn't it? When we're in the midst of these circumstances. Sometimes what God's doing is He's not changing our circumstances, He's changing us. And I, think that, I really think that's the story of Joseph here. So, We come to this place. What happens when we see the presence of God on our lives and we're given the promise as believers that God is with us. He's never going to leave us or forsake us. Nothing can snatch us out of the palm of his hand. When it doesn't seem like that's true, what do we do? What do we default to? Do we default to just grabbing up whatever pleasure we can in the world? Do we default to wishing God would do something different? Do we default to bitterness towards God, whatever it may be, Joseph didn't fall into those traps. So he serves as a great example for us of what it looks like to walk through pain, to walk through circumstances that are unjust, and to walk through in faith. But what happens when God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life doesn't seem to be working out? Look at Joseph's life. Joseph, Joseph's standing was threatened by injustice. Remember, he was the favored son of Of the favorite son of the favorite son. God had given a promise and a covenant to Abraham, and now Joseph is the favorite son of the favorite son of the favorite son. Surely God's blessing is on this guy, and yet it seems like injustice is what's following him. So what do you do in the middle of those circumstances? What do you do? His standing was threatened, but we're told God is with him. His security is threatened. He's a slave. He's imprisoned. He's owned by someone else. No freedom. And yet, God is with him. His success is threatened. His brothers might be able to go out and earn all that they can. Whatever he earns doesn't belong to him. Whereas his forefathers had gone and gotten rich off the land, and even in the midst of their sin that they had had riches upon riches heaped upon them, <laughs> he's now in prison and a slave. His success is being threatened by his circumstances, but God was with him. What I want you to see today, and I, I pray that you see this in Joseph's life, because I, I pray that you'll begin to see it in your own life. We tend to get in our minds an idea, maybe even ideal, of what we think life with Jesus is supposed to look like. All right, so if I pray, right, then he's going to do X, Y, Z. If I tithe, then my business is going to be successful. If I, This is the way we tend to think about God sometimes, that if I, then he will. Well, Joseph does everything right. And his circumstances never change. they only seem to get worse. in this chapter, we are brought to the depths of Joseph's plight, and his circumstances don't seem to be getting any better. so what do you do in those moments? What you begin to do is what I believe Joseph does and that he he can lift his eyes up as scripture says, "I lift my eyes up to the hills." From where my help comes. My help comes from the Lord. So he can look and he can say, If the Lord is with me, his presence is with me, he's promised my forefathers, and I am promised that he is with me. What does it look like for me to now reside in his presence so that he's providing for me? Look at what God provides Joseph by his presence. First of all, he provides his good grace. What we need in order to endure all the hardships that we go through is not strength, we need grace. It's not being able to muscle through it and just bear with it. We need grace to endure. How many times has life just gotten so difficult that it seemed the harder you fought against it, the deeper you fell? It's like quicksand sometimes, isn't it? Sometimes the circumstances in our lives find us and we start kicking against it, we start fighting against it, we just keep sinking. But what we need in those moments is not strength. We need grace. We actually need a lifeline. We actually need someone else to get us out of the situation. Not the ability to get out of the situation, but someone else to get us out of the situation. For him, he needed someone to keep him from sinning. Someone to keep him from falling into this temptation. And God's grace gives him the ability to do that. God provided Joseph with a good witness to God's faithfulness. It says in the passage that with steadfast love, God was with him. So even in prison, from going from a slave to the head of the household to imprisoned, God's steadfast love was securing Joseph. So what does that look like for us? What does that look like when God is with us and God starts showing us his steadfast love? What it means is we actually can say, no, I know God is good we can we can actually know his love in the midst of our circumstances and say to the world around us no you know what even if my circumstances don't change the good news is my god doesn't change either his love is steadfast his grace is secure and what we tend to do is we tend to say if my circumstances are getting worse then god must not love me god must be angry with me. There's no indicator anywhere in this passage of Scripture that God is angry with Joseph. And yet he finds himself in the midst of these circumstances. So let me give you a little relief today, hopefully. No matter what your circumstances are, no matter how bad it is today, does not mean that God is angry with you. In fact, I believe what it probably means is God wants you to trust Him more. That what He's after it's not for you to get really strong and fight. It's for you to give up and have him fight for you. Joseph's story is marked by God's faithfulness, God's presence, God's power. Every good thing that happened to Joseph is because God did it. And then we go on and Potiphar can even see that. It says Potiphar could see God's hand on Joseph so that everything that Potiphar did was flourishing. Everything in his household and his fields was flourishing because the Lord was with Joseph. And Potiphar could see that. It became obvious to him. What what a cool thing it would be if in the world around us it wasn't, look how great those Christians are, but instead it was, look how great their God is. What if our witness to the world was not the strength in numbers, but instead the weakness that comes from knowing that we can do nothing apart from him? What if the witness we had to the world was that God is great and we are not? What if that's what we projected? There's nothing about Joseph here other than the fact that his ruddy good looks that would cause the world to look at him and say that guy's got it together. But he has a testimony He's a hard worker evidently. I can't imagine Potiphar just going like, you know, Jedi mind trick. God goes, Potiphar, this is the slave that you will turn everything over to. Right? I don't think that that's what happened. I think Joseph was seen as a hard worker. He's in the house and he's making things happen. But both could see that God was the one who was accomplishing it. So not only is is he a good witness to God's steadfast love, he's also a testimony to his own faithfulness that God's blessing was bringing favor on his life as he worked as unto the Lord. You know you can work as unto the Lord no matter what job you have. From slave to president of the United States. No matter what your job is in between, you can work as unto the Lord. And God, God is the God who gives increase and success. That's the good news for us. So whatever the increase, whatever the success, whatever the failures, God can work and is working to accomplish His good will and His good purpose in you. God was providing grace. God was providing a witness of His own faithfulness. God was providing a good testimony of Joseph's faithfulness. God provided Joseph with a good desire to believe and to obey Him even in the midst of great hardship. That's what I love about this passage is it keeps getting harder and you never once see Joseph waver. That's not me. And if it's you, praise the Lord. But I'm guessing that most of us in this room would probably go, yep, not me. When the hardships come and when the circumstances change, I don't tend to go, praise the Lord, things got hard. It's not my first thought. It's only in hindsight that I often am able to see what Joseph sees even here, what was meant for evil is actually turned to good by God. Hmm. But here's Joseph in the midst of all of this. But I want you to also see this fact. Joseph is not Jesus. Jesus. You can just write that down. like just put, Make sure, chapter 39, I want to be reminded, Joseph is not Jesus. There are heroes in the Bible, throughout the Bible, that you can read about and you can apply some of their things to your lives and you would be like, I learned a lot from the way he did that or didn't do that. It's great. I want to make sure you understand this. We don't have any indicator in chapter 39 of Joseph falling into temptation and sin, but I know he wasn't Jesus, so he sinned. with me on this? He sinned. He fell into some temptation at some point because he was not sinless. So, Joseph can only be followed up to a point. Now, Joseph's life is here in chapter 39, not to point us to a three-step process of trying to make sure that you don't fall into temptation. It's to point us to the one who empowers us to overcome temptation. So, You go back to Judah in chapter 38. Judah is there to tell us his grace is sufficient. (laughs) Right? Judah is there to remind us that even in the midst of our failings, God's grace is sufficient. Joseph is here to remind us that no matter what the temptation, it doesn't have to overcome us because God gives a way out of that temptation. Did you catch that? Not you will find a way out, but God gives a way out of that temptation. It's not to point us to Joseph and his strength. It's to point us to our God who is gracious. So let's not miss that and think, if I just do what Joseph did, I'll be good to go. No, without God, without Jesus working, you have no hope of overcoming the temptations in your life. And so that brings us to the presence of God in Joseph's desires. What you see in Joseph's desires, he's... he's, thrust into this situation where the desires of Potiphar's wife are just thrown at him every day, much like the world throws all the images of worldliness at us all the time. It's an everyday temptation, and he fends off this temptation daily. He's finding new ways to make sure he's not in the same room with her. He's finding new ways to make sure that he doesn't get caught doing anything or put in a position that's compromising in any way. But it wasn't just coming up with you know, these stop gaps and these speed bumps towards sin. It was even in the end fleeing this temptation and fleeing the sinfulness. Where does that desire to fight the temptation and to flee the sinfulness, where does that come from? Because it doesn't come from within. Scripture makes it abundantly clear that every last one of us is dead in our trespasses and sins. So I know Joseph was one of those guys. This was not coming from some really good place inside. No, he needed God to give him a new heart and new desires. As Ezekiel will tell us, as Jeremiah will tell us. That we needed hearts of stone taken out and hearts of flesh put in. We need the law of God to be written on our hearts if you look at the people of israel you can see this as we go later on in the story it's not enough for them to have amazing stories of deliverance they were taken through the red sea right amazing story of deliverance and then they had a god moment where they had the perfect law of god written down on tablets and handed to them and it took them like a day to turn their back on god So it is not enough for us to have experiences or even to have a Bible. We need Jesus. The Bible is God's perfect Word given to us. Jesus is the Word made flesh. Let's not make our Bibles into God's. Because I can follow all the rules of the Bible and still find myself outside of the kingdom of God without Jesus. The Bible is always meant to point me to Jesus. Jesus who is the author and perfecter of my faith. And so he has all that's necessary because he has a God who is with him. God gives him a new, transformed, different heart so that he'll desire the things of God more than security and success. Do you desire the things of God more than security and success? Because the more we desire, the more we will grab and the more we will fall into temptation Do you have the type of heart and desire to resist sin by desiring God more than experiencing pleasure or avoiding pain? Let me make sure you understand what I'm saying here. James tells us that the reason there are quarrels among us is because we desire and do not have. And that leads into all types of sins. All types of sins, including murder and stealing. This is what happens when desire takes over. But when God gives new hearts and new desires to us, we begin to desire the things of God and then ultimately desire Him more than we desire what the world offers us. And this is what the world keeps offering us. Do this. Go this direction and you'll get pleasure. Most of our lives are spent doing one of two things. Trying to gain pleasure or trying to avoid pain. Most of the decisions we make in our lives... We're either trying to gain pleasure or avoid pain. So the question for us today is, do we desire God more than we desire avoiding pain? Which is, you know what? The fact is, if he had given in to the temptation of Potiphar's wife, he would have never ended up in prison unless he got caught. Ah, oh, we always forget that, don't we? It's all well and good until you get caught. But what if he had just pursued pleasure? I'm sure the momentary pleasure of being with Potterspur's wife would have, you know, been something to enjoy. Until he got caught. Until he stood before a holy God what we see in joseph's life is not just he came up with a great 12-step program for us in order to overcome temptation and sin in our lives i mean that'd be nice i would love just like the verses written out god says to this is how you avoid all temptation 12 steps every day you do these things you'll never sin but i want to make sure you understand this god's design for joseph and oftentimes god's design for us is that he actually grows us through the temptation he grows us through the circumstances. He grows us through the darkness. He grows us through the hardships. By giving us new hearts and new desires that would trust Him no matter what the circumstances. So where does that leave us? Where does that leave us? Because we're not Joseph. Anybody here successfully this past week, every time there was a temptation to either sin or a temptation to... Doubt God, you totally succeeded. No? Okay. Then we're not Joseph, alright So how does this? Where does this leave us? It leaves us with this refrain: "The Lord was with him." Big L O R D. Look in your Bibles. You see it there? "The Lord was with him." It's all the all caps version of God, so I like to call it. You know what that means? That's Yahweh God. That's the covenant God. That's the God who makes promises and keeps promises. That's the God who said to Abraham, I will make you a great nation. That's the God who will speak to Moses and say, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. This is the God who has the name that's above every name, the name that's given to Jesus as Lord, because he is the covenant-making and covenant-keeping God. And that God with joseph that's what we're left with this refrain the lord was with him good news if you are a follower of jesus guess what the lord is with you the covenant making covenant keeping god is with you and this is what we're promised as believers in jesus god promises us through his presence these things Psalm 1611, you'll see it there if you've got one of the sheets, or you can flip over to it. Psalm 1611 says this, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. Where is there fullness of joy? In your presence. At your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. So if we're running after trying to gain pleasure or to avoid any kind of pain, guess where pleasure is found? At the right hand of the Lord, in His presence. Guess where joy is found? In His presence. Pleasures forevermore. Joy forevermore in God's presence. What has God promised for us as believers in Him? Joy in His presence. Not somewhere else. Not temporary joys, but a joy found in His presence. What else are we told? We're actually given hope in His presence. Psalm 23, one of the most beloved and well-known passages in all of Scripture. Verse 4 says this, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for... Anybody? Thou art with me. You are with me. He has hope. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. We get the hope of knowing He's with us in the midst of walking through the valley of the shadow of death. And we're told... On the other side, there's a table. On the other side, there's a meal. On the other side, there's rejoicing. On the other side, all the things that would seek to kill you, you're eating a meal in security right in front of them. All because the Lord is with you. There's hope. So if you're in the middle of the valley right now, and you're like, I don't see the light in the darkness. There is a light. His name is Jesus. And here's the thing. You're looking in the wrong place. It's not at the end of the valley. He's standing right beside you. He's with you. If you're a believer in Christ, you have that hope of His presence. Well, we're not only told we get joy and hope, we actually get a purpose through God's presence. Matthew 28, verse 18 says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. This is Jesus speaking. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, anybody? I am with you always to the end of the age. We actually have God promising us, Jesus promising us His presence as we follow Him in obedience to the ends of the world. And the way He says this, this is not just going to Iceland or to Lithuania or to India or to East Asia or to Barcelona. It's not that. It's as you are going through your life, He is with you as you proclaim the excellencies of who He is and make disciples. You have a purpose. You have joy in His presence. You have hope in His presence. And you have a purpose in His presence. And here's the here's one of the best ones. You ready? Revelation 21, 3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be His people and God Himself will be with them in their midst. He will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. We get eternity in God's presence. This is what God promises to believers. Joy in His presence. Hope in His presence. Purpose in His presence. Eternity in His presence. Anybody here want that? because that's what he's offering. But he's not offering it to people who would say, I want to figure out how not to sin. He's not offering it to people who are saying, what's the 12-step program to be, uh, live a more fulfilled life? He's not offering it to those people. He's not offering it to people who want to live their best life now. He's not offering it to people who are trying to figure out how to get out of the circumstances and situations they find themselves in. That's not the offer. The offer is to people who would trust Him. Who wouldn't rest in their own strength, but who recognize their own sinfulness. Who would then trust Him in all of His righteousness to save them. So let me make sure you understand this. All of that joy and that hope and that purpose and that eternal life is secured not by your ability, but by one who came, whose name is Jesus. Let me me make sure you understand what I'm saying. John chapter 1 says this, the Word is God. The Word was God. The Word was with God. Everything came into being through the Word. Then we're told this, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. beheld His glory. Glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is Jesus who came to dwell among us. In fact, we're told He will call His name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And in His presence is joy. In His presence is hope. In His presence is purpose. In His presence is eternal life. There is no other way to the Father except through Him. He is Emmanuel God with us. But here's what he did for you. What he did in order to secure for you his presence forevermore is he took on flesh. He came and willingly took the bondage and slavery of taking on a body. A body that would suffer, a body that would get hot, a body that would a body that would sneeze maybe every once in a while. Can you imagine that? body that would die he took on the form of a servant he came as a as a person a bondage he went out into the wilderness to be tempted over and over again for you and for me He lived a perfectly righteous, sinless life that you and I could never live. He did it for you. He did it for me. And then in the end, we, humanity, meant it for evil when we cursed Him and put Him on a tree, put Him on a cross. God with us put on a cross. here's the amazing thing. In order for you and for me to be assured that God would be with us forever, Jesus hung on that cross and the Father turned His back. And in that moment, God was not with Jesus so that you and I would never have to question whether God is with us. That's the good news I want for you. I don't know what your circumstances are. I don't know what injustice you're suffering in your life. But our God suffered injustice for you. So that you would know you're never alone that you would be accepted into His family, so that you would have God as your Father, so that you would know that you are held in the palm of His hand, so that you would know that the God who is with us is always with you no matter where you go, so that you will be part of His people, so that He will be with you for eternity. God has accomplished that in Jesus Christ. There is no other way for you to have the joy of His presence, the hope of His presence, the purpose found in His presence, or the eternal life found in His presence without Jesus who suffered in your place, suffered rejection by God so that you and I might be accepted? So, what do you do? What do you do with him? You do with what so many people do, and that is, that's a great story. Really, I'm glad God loves me. It's interesting that you say He has a wonderful plan for my life because he loves me, but it's not quite working out right now. Well, the Father has never loved anyone more than he loved the Son. And that love took him to the cross. So what in our circumstances, in our sufferings, when none of us is sinless, Cause us to look at God and say, I I, I just can't believe you love me. My prayer for you today is that you would look past your circumstances to see the God who is with you and loves you. The Good Shepherd, the King, the Father, the Lord. If today is a day where that comes home in your heart, in your mind today for the first time, and you say, you know what, I, I, I need to know He is with me. I want to talk to you after the service. Kenny's going to be in the back. He'll talk to you after the service. In fact, I'll just put this out there. If you would be willing to talk to anyone who needs more information about following Jesus and trusting Jesus, would you raise your hand if you'd say, I'd talk to somebody right now. Just look around. These people will talk to you about following Jesus today. Don't leave here without talking to somebody. Because our desire is not just to gather down here and to put on a show for everybody. Gather is to honor. Our, our goal is to honor the Lord, proclaim how great He is so that our lives will be changed, marked out by His presence, so that when we go out into the world, we don't have to question when the, all the hardships hit. We don't have to question whether He's with us. And our prayer is that the rest of the world would see Him with us as well and come to glorify Him along with us. That's, that's my desire for you. And I pray that today would be the day that would happen. If you're here today and you're a believer in Christ and you're in the middle of the valley, Look beside you. That's where the light is. It's not at the end of the valley. It's in the valley with you. He's the light of the world and He's the light of your life. Trust Him today. Open your eyes to who He is and trust Him today. Let's pray. Father, I pray that today uh, we would trust You. We would trust You more than we trusted You when we walked in this place. Lord, that we would be able to sing and sing heartily that no matter what the circumstances are, it's fine, it's well whatever the lot is that we have whatever your plan is for us we know that it's going to be for your glory and for our good because we can look to Jesus who, who took on all of your plan for him and that plan of your love and your wonderful plan for his life took him to the cross because we know that it's only through the cross that there is resurrection so Lord, whatever it is that we're suffering right now we can trust you in the middle of it we want to trust you in the middle of it so help us Lord, we believe, so help our own belief. Help us to be able to sing out it as well with our soul. Because we can look at the cross. And we can know that you are with us. And Lord, help us to look forward to that day when all of this faith becomes reality and sight where we are able to actually experience all that we're longing for. But Help us to not long for more or less than Jesus who will be with us forever. We pray in Jesus' name and ask you to stand. We're going to sing together.